Hey everyone, hey and welcome back to yet another episode of Alpha Metallica. This is your host, Tom Quee. I'm starting, as I always do, by saying thank you so much. Thank you for following us on the Twitter at MetallicaPod. Get in touch with the show, MetallicaPod at gmail.com. If you want to come on the show to review a Metallica song with me. Um, we have our Patreon as well. We have many other avenues you can get out of us. Check the description on the episodes. Leave us a review on iTunes, all that good stuff. Today we are back with yet another interview episode. You know, these have been getting more higher high profile, as you may have noticed. Um, we had the Angry Video Game Nerd on, which was was royalty to me and then we had ray burton on which is you know royalty to everyone really so i'm hope i know a lot of people have enjoyed that episode so please check it out if you haven't already leave a comment and today is is, is no different really you know i have um a hugely influential producer um you know a, a titan a real um cornerstone figure in the career of metallic hair the producer of three of their best albums uh fleming rasmussen how's it going it's going great, yeah. I'm sitting here in the sunshine in good old Denmark. It's fantastic. Oh, good, good. Thank, thank, you, thank you so much for joining me. Um, you know, this is very, very exciting to talk about. Like, I mean, I, I don't want to kind of just pigeonhole you as, you know, Metallica's producers. Obviously, we're going to talk about a lot of does, does that happen day to day? Do you find that always happens? Uh, more or less, yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's obviously the, the, the albums I've made that sold the most and got the biggest recognition. So, so yeah, I'm often referred to as Metallica producer. Uh, but, you know, in, in different circles, uh, they, they refer uh, to different albums because mm-hmm. I've done a lot of different stuff. Um, so, so, yeah, it depends on who you talk to. Uh, but most people refer to me as the producer of the the three good Metallica <laughs> albums, so to speak. Well, I mean, they, they they are like regardless of if they're the best for you or they're the only ones you like, they are something special. That era, really, aren't they? That that kind of eighties time. Yeah, it's it's where Metallica kind of uh, uh, matured. Mm. Uh, so so obviously, yeah, uh, and the development from one album to another is is pretty pretty huge as as they as they progress as musicians as well and 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 in in their life so yeah it's it's pretty important yeah Mm -hmm. and i mean we'll we'll get to you know the development of the band in the studio which i am really curious to ask about and obviously the amount of classic songs that you help put together you know real real you know as i say like baffling pieces of magistry that we just listen to constantly but starting with yourself born on um the first of january is that right new year's day yeah that's true yeah right right that's uh you know that kind of coincides with uh spring nine months earlier mm. and everybody <laughs> getting out in the sun so yeah right, right. Um, and copenhagen denmark is this where you sort of grew up your formative years yeah yeah exactly I've, I've been living here uh all my life and still here um with you know obviously went to la for a short period of time to to record some stuff but yeah mm. decided i wanted to stay here and I mean, growing up musically, what, what were the bands you're into at that time? Um, I was a little too too young to to be part of the hippie movement, but mm. really, really liked the music. So I would say, I mean, I had a, I have an older brother who's seven seven years older than me, and he, you know, kind of got the 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 the, the very first Rolling Stones album he bought. And have it in like a mono version and stuff like that. Yeah. I keep every time I visit him, I take it out and because I love looking at it because it says in brackets after each song what dance you can dance to. Right. So like, not fade away as a bossa nova and stuff like that. It's 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 really ridiculous. But apparently you did that in those days. 
so so I kind of grew up not with the Beatles kind of thing, but with the Rolling Stones thing, mm-hmm. and and like late late sixties, uh, start of the seventies, uh, I got into the the hard rock thing with Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin, Uriah mm-hmm. Heep, all that stuff. Uh, so so I was into the uh, I was into the hard rock thing. It was called then. Or just rock, basically, because you know, and then uh, uh, everything uh, in those days. I was a Slade fan instead of a Sweet fan, and uh, mm. stuff like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and you mentioned um, Deep Purple. You'd later go on to work with Richie Blackmore. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was actually one of the reasons why I ended up doing Metallica, because because they'd heard what I've done with Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. Mm. Uh, that came about. Um, they were on tour. And they had like a weekend off in Copenhagen, and and the promoter, which which was a really good friend of mine, uh, we have you know because we like the same kind of music, Eric Thompson, he he called and said they had a day off, they wanted to do the B side for All Night Long, from the Rising album, mm. uh, which was supposed to be an instrumental, and and asked if we could do it. It was on a Sunday. I said yeah, <laughs> Richie Blackmore is for sure. Uh, and and that was with Cozy Powell on drums, mm. and he was, I I was, he was my favorite drummer at the time. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. And and, and this was also a really big disappointment because I felt his drums sounded really like shit. <laughs> it's like you get this, you total icon, you totally yeah. love, and he puts his drum kit up, and they sounded horrible. I was I was uh, you know panicking, but yeah, it turned out really well. So. And then Richie called me, they called me like three months later and, and booked a whole album. Mm. And that was difficult to cure. And you were, you were so young at that time. Were you like, were you like 24, 25 or something? Yeah, I started Jeez. in a studio straight after I was 18. But I was always the kid that whenever whenever everybody else got mopeds and, and you know, all, all, all this, uh, all, all cars, I got a new stereo. So I was into the uh, tape recorder thing, you know, editing, and I was actually doing what what now is known as mixtapes. Right. I was just I was just doing it on on a quarter inch uh, Sony or Revox tape recorder. Mm. So I had like you know huge fifteen inch reels with like three hours of music on it that I, everything was edited, so there was no breaks. It just kept going. That's crazy. Like, <laughs> do, you, do you still have that in any form? I think yeah, I have some of them on my. Uh, I have some of. I have actually digitized some of them. Not not the very old ones, but right. you know some of the later ones. That's good. That's good. I mean, I hate to sound like a, a philistine millennial, but like if you could put that playlist on Spotify, people would that appreciate would be, it. Oh yeah, that would be ridiculous. Yeah, that would be yeah. great. Yeah, people would. So you know, but whatever. Maybe an idea for the future. But like at at, at this <laughs> at this time, I mean, look, I'm I'm quite naive to the to the politics maybe of the studio was it hard as a young you know guy getting respect from these musicians or was that not a problem um i think the problem was more the self-confidence you need to have when you're in a mm. studio um because recording artists tends to get in and out of studios and they more or less expect people to know what they're doing mm. Mm. so so they don't really have that kind of uh uh, 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 you know, you have to prove it that you're good because most of the time they actually pick the studio because of the people in it, not because of what they have in terms of equipment because that's more or less, you know, 
whether it's one desk or the other desk or another tape recorder. It's it's. I mean, the reason why uh, uh, Rainbow came back was because I just stuck a mic in front of Richie's amp, turned it up, and he went, "Yeah, that's it." Right. And I was like, "Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah," and it did sound really good. Yeah. <laughs> but he he you know he'd had trouble getting his guitar sound in in, in other studios. Mm. And apparently, you know, I just stuck, you know, a Shure SM7, which is like a, a bit more expensive than a standard 57, which is the, probably the cheapest but most versatile mic you can have ever. But I just stuck that in front of his cap, and and that was it. Mm-hmm. But I had like the the desk I have, and I still have it. It's that Trident A range from '76, mm-hmm. and it does add a lot of character to the sound, and and he really liked that. And uh, at this time, you know, soon Metallica come along, um, soon after you've been working with Richie. Yeah. And were you aware of Kill 'em All at all? No, not at all. I had no idea that there was a band that existed that was called Metallica. I obviously heard it when they called me and, and asked if I was interested. Mm. And I immediately said yes, because it was, you know, my kind of uh, yeah. alley with, you know, the hard rock thing. The heavy metal thing hadn't really been established by then, it was total underground. So it was just, you know, hot, hot rock. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I, I immediately said yes. But, you know, I, I, I didn't know Lars. I didn't know the band. I didn't know anything about it at all. And uh, apparently you and Lars um, early on, or perhaps throughout it, would speak Danish to each other. Yeah, we had this thing going uh, because we were Danish. I, I, as, as, as much as possible, we would speak English in the studio. Right. But if, you know, if, if he had like a thing he wanted, you know, really fast, we'd just go Danish. Mm. And it, even at one point, I think it was when we did Master of Justice, we, we kind of had this thing where we, when we started talking Danish, we'd, we'd, you know, like we're talking right now, we'd, we'd actually, you know, just slip in the word James. Mm-hmm. So we'd go sit and talk like we do now, James, and and then we'd you know talk on and go, James, and he would go, <laughs> "What the fuck?" <laughs> Just to piss him off. That was pretty cool. <laughs> and um, so because so he obviously he didn't understand a word, and he yeah. thought we were talking about him, which we weren't. But it's just yeah. to, you know wind him up. <laughs> so <laughs> and uh, you know obviously the band are coming to at this point the uh, Sweet Silence Studios. Yeah. I mean, build us a quick picture of this because it's quite the legendary spot, right? It, it yeah, it was situated uh, on the first floor actually of of an old uh, 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 industrial complex. Mm. We had like a huge back room, which was like with wooded floor and and you know brick walls and a wooden ceiling, and it was like twelve by ten meters or something. And that's where we put the drums, and uh, uh, which was like situated right back uh, right back in the back of the studio it was actually what the studio looked like before we built it mm. and that went on for like you know 100 meters a really long building it's now apartments somebody's actually having a living room at the spot where lost recorded ride and master oh my god <laughs> and, and they they don't even know no probably oh, not some of them yeah. might have you know gone into right. the uh gone into the the history of the building i got thing i got one uh, mail from somebody who asked if I had any pictures and I went nah I'm not gonna up the price on your apartment yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah and uh, the studio was a huge control room we had a machine room where all the, the uh, machines were tape machines and stuff and we had a big recording room and two booths and 
at the end of the uh, uh, the drum booth was at the back, and it had two doors that would open out to this big back room. And mm. sometimes we'd put the drums in the drum room and open the doors and use the ambience there. But in Lars's case, Metallica case, we actually put the drums in that big room. Mm. And I stuck like mics in every corner, and they really loved that. Yeah, we're actually we're actually looking at uh, studios in uh, in LA to record Master of Puppets. Me and Lars, I took like a two week trip. To to find a good studio to record in, because they wanted to do it with me, but they they wanted to stay in the states, and we didn't really find anything that matched that. So the band decided that you know, all right, we'll do it in Copenhagen again. Mm. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's a shame, really, though, with Sweet Silence, because to me, um, Fleming, it's like an Abbey Road type place. It's such a it kind is, of, yeah. you know. Yeah, but you know, it's it was rented and I, we missed it by a day to buy it. So you know, it's it's one of those yeah, things where yeah. you go, life would have been so much so different if, if that had happened. Yeah, but I mean, regardless, these classic albums came yeah. out at that time, so we can kind of you know celebrate them. And um, I'm reading about you know the ideas when they were doing Ride the Lightning. The shifts were quite odd, weren't they? You'd start quite late and finish quite early. Yeah. Yeah. We had in those days, uh, studios were a good business. Unlike now, yeah. we had like uh, two two shifts: one day shift and one night shift. Yeah. And uh, day shift started at ten in the morning till six, and then there was an hour crossover from six till seven, and we'd start at seven at night, and we'd go uh, and we'd go on till like three four five in the morning mm. and this was pretty late it was uh september as far as i remember and we continued for quite a while so so it was pretty cold in denmark and some you know so there was a lot of tuning involved with the drums and stuff because mm. they've been standing in that cold room all day yeah and a lot of uh a lot of uh you know setting up the desk again for 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 recording I had like loads of, of mics on there, but that, yeah, then again, that that just that's, that turned out to be a good thing because I now have all the, the notes mm. from what we did, so I can kind of say, well, we EQ'd it and this freaking blah blah, all this stuff, all yeah. the nerdy stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, all all the stuff that's in back to the front, I guess, for Master of Puppets, like yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is we'll, we'll get to that book, great book. And one of the things you're talking about as well, um, James is singing. You had to sort of coax it out of him a little bit. Yeah, he was uh, he was pretty shy, and mm. in, in that he he didn't uh, he didn't really consider himself a singer. He was more like shouting. So so you know, just just getting him to do the vocals uh, uh, was was in the beginning pretty hard. But he obviously got more uh, better and better at it. And then you know now he's he's doing really good. Mm. Um, but in those days, you know, harmonies and stuff that he was not into that at all. I used to describe him as an angry young man. Mm. But I mean, so talented, weren't they, the band? Like, they were even younger than yourself at that point. It was it was so obvious that they had something that, you know, that nobody else had. And I was, I was, uh, I mean, uh, uh, my, my partner in the studio at the time was, came from a jazz background mm. and, and he didn't get it at all. He was like, they can't play. And I went, <laughs> you know, he, he said that one day to me, he said, hey, they can't play. It sounds like shit. I went, who gives a fuck? You know, listen to that energy. It's fantastic. I couldn't get my hands down. I thought I was, I was, it was like, 
I was excited. I thought it was the best thing I'd ever done. I, mean, I, I really enjoyed it. And he didn't get that, you know, the energy thing at yeah, all. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, uh, I thought it was good. And, and also, because, you know, Metallica has always set the bar high when they do albums. They always try to set the, you know, in, in terms of playing technical stuff. Mm. They always set it very high. And that means, you know, they have to be on their best game in order to, to perform these songs and, and do it the way they want it. So it's always taken a while to do it because, you know, you know, you need to get that really good performance. Mm. And, and, Oh, no, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's, you know, that's also why they improved so much in that period because they got technically a lot better from mm -hmm. album to album. Oh it, so, yeah, yeah. In incredible leaps like you know yeah. I mean I'm a huge fan of Tom Waits and you look at some of his music and he really had leaps but they were kind yeah. of you know seven albums in and he changes here it's like the kind of very garage thrash charming kill them all yeah. to like some of these songs like as a producer was it a sense of like you know you can only go so far really they have to bring the songs and you uh, you know you, yeah. you do what's uh, there you must have found like you struck gold with this set of eight. Oh yeah definitely because um, um, you know I mean we I think we had the same vision about how it should sound which which more or less materialized on master of puppets uh, which which was like a total walk in the park to do because we were all all on the same page mm. uh, and and we we're all like you know pulling in the same direction and wanted it to sound the way it ended up and and it was like uh, there was it, it was you know it was fun going to the studio because you know we all enjoyed it and the songs were really good and all that. It was like, we, we just knew this was going to be really, really good. And we did, I mean, they and, and um, none of us really cared what everybody else thought. Because they had been trying to, you know, do this one song on Ride where they kind of tried to be a little bit commercial. What is it? That first song on Side 2, what's it called? Oh, Trapped Under Ice. Yeah, that one. That was because when we did write, they were still on Megaforce Records and they were trying to get a major label deal. So they kind of thought, let's do like a short song that, mm. that, you know, the record label can put out as a single. But once they got the deal with Elektra, they kind of never looked back and went, we're not going to do anything to please anybody. We're just going to do what we want ourselves, which I think is the way you should do it. It's, it's the classic, you can't please everybody, so at least please yourself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, and the amount of Stone Cold classics on this album, really. I mean, you know, you could argue every song is kind of iconic in its own way, but you know, stuff like "Ride the Lightning," "Bells Toll," yeah. "Fade to Black," yeah. "Creeping Death." It's just like Jesus. It's a swarm of quality. I I was so. I mean, it was, <laughs> I was so up on that. You know, yeah. even the instrumentals. On oh that, man, uh, uh, that's Cthulhu. Yeah, yeah. Orion is on master, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was like really good. Yeah. Cliff doing his solos. Oh, it was like, wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that yeah. song sounds great, by the way. Like from a sort yeah, of production, yeah. like it it sounds so alive even now. Yeah. Exactly. Like, yeah. You know. It's... And I think uh, "Bells" is the first song we did to a click track yeah. ever. That's crazy. Yeah. Just just to get it that tight, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh yeah, that's probably me going. We need to, because they were probably speeding it up because they're used to the live situation and stuff. And you know, they they didn't know what a click track was when they came in and did right. But you know, mm. uh, so so all in all, how many days were you in the studio? 
I think for Riot, it was only like a month and a half. Right, okay. Uh, and they they had some breaks and did some gigs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Master of Puppet, no, Riot was, that was in spring. That's, that's true, yeah, I'm getting this wrong. Uh, Master was from September till uh, New Year. We were like four months, three and a half months. Mm. And I mean, I mean, during that time then that spans kind of ending Ride the Lightning and b- before Master, like, you know, Metallica were touring a hell of a lot, um, yeah. doing a lot of European tour dates all around the yeah. place and a lot of kind of yeah. co-headline shows. Was it, you know, was it with pride that you watched? Because it must have been so good to see them accelerate. I was, yeah, it was, I was so proud and nobody, nobody in Denmark, you know, knew who Metallica was. Mm. I mean, we had to go probably beyond injustice before you know like you know my mom and everybody else you know started listening to metallica uh and and obviously uh the closest in my family knew who they were but i mean you know the general public didn't know anything about metallica till like way into the the injustice for all period Mm. and and because obviously the 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 underground all the metal metal guys and then when there was a, a, a big metal scene they know who they were but you know like if i spoke to somebody you know some of my friends say yeah i'm doing metallica they went what's that i was like <laughs> really <laughs> so yeah yeah un- un- unbelievable but, but it- yeah I, I was really proud and and you know but yeah and and i i actually you know um uh, i worked hard to get the the, the albums to turn out the way they did mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and obviously they're quite famously quite a picky band, um, and they oh, yeah. kind of you know. But the fact that they came back to you twice more shows, you know, how how much faith they had in it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I like. Well, I'm used to because I work in the studio all the time. I'm used to you know when I when people come to me to record, they have to be at their peak. Mm. So you know they have to. I get their most stressed and most demanding periods. That's when they're with me, because what everything they do with me is kind of you know being kept for posterity. So you know they have to be good, otherwise they have to do it again, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm used. They were not like pickier than 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 the some of the really picky people. I mean, Richie was pretty picky. I mean, that right. was way way worse. I mean, it was it was to a point where where he didn't talk to the band and stuff. Mm. So, you <laughs> know. <laughs> um you uh, in in back to the front, which is the fantastic um hardcover coffee table. I I mention it every episode it seems like Fleming, but it yeah. is such a good book. I mean, it, it, it must have been great for you to go through the whole chapter dedicated to your time with the band, all the photos and stuff. Well, the, the really good, interesting thing about that is I never got the book. Oh, no. No, I never got oh, it. I'm, you deserve I'm gonna it. Call, I'm going to call yeah. somebody and tell them to ship me a copy. Yeah, they definitely, definitely should. Because one of the quotes from you that I really liked about the Master Sessions, you said, quote, My philosophy was to shut up and let the band fuck around. In the end, it's their album, not mine. That might, yeah, have, been, yeah. that might have been unusual. There was a tendency in the 80s for producers to have a signature sound. It didn't matter who the band was because the end result always sounded the same. I mean, I wanted to yeah. ask you, what, what producers, can you name any? Who who did the same as I did? No, no, no. Who had that 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 tendency to put their sound on an album rather than letting a band play like you did? Oh, there's tons of them. Um, I worked with Roy Thomas Baker, who had this huge wall of sound kind right. of thing. He wrote Queen and stuff. Okay. Did a Danish band that kind of resembled that. But there was like a lot of these pop producers. You know, it didn't really matter who they who they were. Everything they did just sounded uh, mm. sounded the same. 
uh, they're luckily forgotten now, but there was a, a lot of them, you know, Stock, Aiken, Waterman, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Everything, no matter what they did, it all sounded the same. It's like it's like you take any fairy tale and you stick Andrew Lloyd Webber on top of it, and they all sound the same. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. You know, it's like it's he he. It's like you know building sandcastles. You have all this sand, and then you just take the Android weapon mold and put it on it, and everything looks the same. Right, it sounds right, the same. Right, right. I fucking hate it. <laughs> and you, you say as well in the book that Metallica were a really good demos band. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, man. The you demos, know, we got yeah, they were absolutely fantastic. They more or less were ready to record when they wow. got into the studio. So it was mainly you know just doing it. That's that's incredible. Like yeah, and you recorded the rhythm guitar first. Yeah, we did the drums with with the rhythm guitars. Mm. Uh, just the guy rhythm guitars. Uh, some of the time they'd play all of them, but we'd just keep the drums, and then we'd do the rhythm guitars on top of the drums. Because I don't. Because normally you do drums, bass, guitars, solos, vocals, right? That that would what what you did in those days. But I recorded the rhythm guitars first because obviously it's a, it's riff based music. And and even though the bass most of the time plays the same riff, I wanted James's feeling the way he played mm. the riffs to be the predominant one, and then stick. I wanted Cliff to play to that because you know then then you get the, the 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 feeling that the riff is written with not instead of one that's interpreted by a bass player. Mm. So yeah, we did all the rhythm guitars, and then we, which which turned out to be really good for Cliff because he was used to the live situation. So if he had like you know almost a finished track to play to, he played a lot better. And he was he was the kind he was kind of hippie loose kind of guy. Sure. So 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 you know he didn't like headphones. So we hooked up some speakers in in the big room and blasted the track and had the amp in another room. And he could, like, jump around and do his bass thing. It was really cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no, dude. Yeah. I mean, what what a unique figure he was to the band. Oh, man, yeah. Just, I mean... we, we, we really miss him. I, I, I just went to Sweden to a festival, and, and, and it was in it was the Bravala Festival. And, mm. and, and, and on the way home, we passed the, the memorial site where the bus crashed. So we just went and said hi again. Right. What 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 is the um, memorial there? Is it just a little plaque or? It's a stone. It's actually stone. like more like a gravestone, and it has you know the inscription from I think it's to live is to die. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's really it's really emotional, and it's like it's not more. It's it's about a hundred, two hundred meters from where the bus crashed. Right. So it's it's more or less the the side of his death, which is kind of depressing. Yeah, yeah, uh, but, but but you know, but still, you know, um, yeah, it's he, the second time I went there, so yeah, I, I, it's kind of it's it's also healing in a way. Mm, mm, mm. No, no, I, so, I, I see what you mean, and you yeah. know, the, the music he left behind on this album as well. I mean, Orion, yeah, yeah. Orion especially, what a masterpiece! Oh yes, 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 yes. You know, just such yeah. such quality like the whole album fleming like i mean this album forget heavy metal this is regarded as one of the best albums ever like it just kind of the plaudits are so huge yeah exactly yeah and i keep winning these polls about best blah blah album yeah <laughs> and so yeah it went into the national recording registry by the library of congress yeah i heard that yeah 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 crazy the first deep culturally significant yeah exactly i was you know 
the pride just keeps coming on. Mm-hmm. And just, I mean, a few of these songs, obviously, so many classics here. Something like Master of Puppets. How, how was that to record? Master of Puppets was uh, really easy to record. Um, as I said, it was... Uh, we were all pulling in the same direction on that album. Mm-hmm. Um, we had the demos, and we'd done right the lightning together, so, so we knew each other. We didn't have that, you know, where we had to, to you know, kind of get to know and feel how we worked in, in a working situation. We just sat down and, you know, did the sound, started working. Mm. And it was it was absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think everybody had like the feel that this is going to be really good. And also, I think that's why Justice turned out so differently because we felt that after we'd done Master of Puppets, we'd kind of, you know, we kind of nailed it for that direction. So, so I think they wanted, you know, to try something new, mm. which which I understood because you know, you couldn't do Master of Puppets better than that. No. I, re- I recently saw saw an article, I think Metal Hammer or something, where where they were talking to uh, the guys from Megadeth, and, and and the bass player said when they heard Master of Puppets, they just went, "Damn, we'll never make an album like that." <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, yeah, got you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just so it's so iconic and triumphant and authoritarian, yeah. and yeah, it is. It just. And again, like eight tracks, but a huge palette of sound on there. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I have their their favorite bits on that for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like the main sort of Leper Messiah riff, it just I think yeah, sounds yeah, yeah. great. The drums on that sound I, great. I love the intro for Sanitarium. Oh man, yeah, yeah, beautiful, yeah, spacious. That's yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you listen carefully, if you put headphones on, uh, we actually do the guitars in the beginning in mono. Mm. And then by and that's it's actually recorded like that. And then at, at you know when when the drums come in, I just flick a switch and it goes into stereo, which wow. is actually a thing I kind of learned from Roy Thomas Baker. Mm. So, mm. signature sound, interesting. That was well, he did that a lot. Yeah. And it's on some of the Queen albums and it sounded really good. So I thought this is this is the spot where we do that. I and it goes from it goes from sounding fantastic in mono to sounding incredible <laughs> in stereo. <laughs> I don't know if this is slightly before your time. I was just on the Sweet um, the Sweet Silent Studios uh, website, and there's a picture of um, John Deacon from Queen in the studio. That's me. Yeah, I'm there. Oh right, that's, that's crazy. I, was, I, I must. I, I mean, I went out of high school and started building Sweet Silence. So right. they're actually on the Sweet Silence website. Is mine. Right, right. There's, yeah, there's a few of them. I still have the studio still exists. It's just called Sweet Silence North, and it's in Helsingor now in uh, Helsingor, where the Kronberg from the Hamlet play mm-hmm. is situated. So yeah, it's it's still up and running. I still have the desk and everything. So cool, so cool that all those uh, yeah. images and places exist. I mean, do you, uh, you know, what what is your sort of cultural um, clout within your native homeland? Are you seen as like a Rick Rubin or? Uh, not really, no. you know. No. Uh, there's a lot of people who respect me for yeah. what I've done. Um, and I'm still working, so, so you know, um, I get the odd. Thing the the thing I do a lot these days is mastering. Mm. I have this whole new uh, generation of uh, uh, metal slash acid slash you know seventies rock bands mm. 
that records by themselves i will get it next or whatever and then when when it comes to mastering they all come to me because you know then they get that sound they really like <laughs> yeah and i have all a lot of analog gear and shit and they, they're kind of into that right so, yeah uh but yeah uh, i do still do a lot of recording so mm-hmm. yeah that's great and and the, the last a uh, real release i want to touch on in terms of metallica was and justice for all yeah. Um, recorded from January to May 1988. Yeah. Is it correct that they originally went to Guns N' Roses' Mike Klink? Well, they called me and asked me and, and said, we booked the studio, we start right. January 3rd, and I went, uh, nice, cool, and I said, uh, and, and you know, said, mm. we want you, and I said, that's nice, but, you know, I'm not off till March 1st, because I was so booked by uh, uh, in that period. Mm. So uh, and and they'd already booked the studio, so so they decided to start with Mike Clink, who did Appetite for Destruction, which they really liked. Yeah. They were totally nuts about that. And like three weeks into January, I get a phone call. This is before the mobile phones. This is like you know a phone phone mm-hmm. call at my house, and I pick it up, and it's Lars, and he, he says, you know, one sentence: When can you come? and i went like what i said yeah we've been in the studio for three weeks now we've done fuck all uh uh, they're still doing guitar sound and james doesn't like it and said we we decided we need to get you in and i kind of took all my sessions and cramped them together and i could leave on february 14th Mm. and I was recently a father. My daughter is born right. December 10th. So I said uh, the conditions are that I'm going to have to bring my whole family. I'm not going to leave a two-month-old daughter and then come back like half a year later and she doesn't know who I am. Mm. So the whole family packed up and went to the States. And, you know, Mike got fired. He literally got fired the day I flew in. <laughs> and... What, what's happening there in your experience of like producing like when a band and a producer don't get on what what's the cause for friction <laughs> i think this uh was probably because he he had his set ways of how things should sound that mm. didn't fit to the metallica sound um james had they all had uh, a really big understanding of their own sound James's rhythm guitar shit sound in a, in a certain way and blah 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 blah, and 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 he was going for the old like more or less seventies kind of uh, hard rock sound and right. they were going for something completely different. Uh, so so yeah, it was it was it was just a bad match because because he's a really talented guy i mean it's it's gotten it's nothing on him it's just they didn't fit mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so yeah so, i just i came in and, and just tore everything down and built it up again and you listened to the mixes did you the original mixes uh the demos i listened to the demos yeah, yeah. i got the demos like literally the the day before i i flew over so i listened to the demos like five times on the plane mm-hmm, mm-hmm. over and like mapped everything out so i was ready and that was with so, with mike clink no that was no the that was one, just the demos they'd done in in Lars's garage 
Right, right, okay, interesting. Because yeah. it's, um, yeah, just, just finally on Mike Klink, apparently he's credited on two tracks on the album, um, Engineering the Drums on Shorty Straw and Harvester of Sorrow. Uh, pretty sure he didn't do that. Pretty okay. sure I did that. Just, okay. you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm no, pretty, I'm sure. I'm pretty sure I recorded all the drums. Okay, okay. Well, um, um I'll have to see where I got that footnote from. But yeah, no, um, regardless, like the album, if you were to just give people the album and sort of explain without context, they would detect that something must have happened in the band's personal life in a certain extent to make them just go so inward with the songwriting yeah. and so jagged. And it, was it quite a difficult environment to work in just in, as a, the aftermath of the accident? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then again, because the situation was the way it was, um, um, They'd already been at it for like four or five weeks when I got there. Mm. Uh, it was just work, work, work. We we kind of worked like 14 hours a day. We did like, I started at 10, ended up at midnight. Some days we'd go till slightly past midnight and then we'd go a bit further past midnight and we'd start it. Then we'd say, okay, let's start at 11 tomorrow. Mm. And as that kept progressing... Uh, you know, we kind of, you know, pushed the start time an hour all the time because we went so late. There was actually one point where we started at five in the morning because we'd like gone all the way around the clock. Right. <laughs> kind of that. That was that was one of the two, three days I had off in in those four months. That was the, that was the day that we kind of caught up on by pushing, p- pushing the 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 hours to. So we were kind of on a twenty five twenty six hour uh, uh, day, right? So mm-hmm. everything got kind of pushed. <laughs> And and the sort of music that you're working on as well when you're without sleep, like some of the songs are so noodly and slivery, you know, they're quite yeah. quite quite brain mashers in a certain sense. Mm. Uh, and what, how, did, how did you think about the music? Because obviously you're in the unique position of sort of getting the demos before you hear it before anyone else. Like, were you surprised? I, I really or? liked it. Yeah. No, no, I really liked it. I thought it was good that they were trying oh, yeah. to do something else, and and the fact that we moved to another studio made you know made us do the sounds differently. Mm. and yeah it was really good we did some really good guitar sounds on that album <clears throat> they'd again got new boogie amps that i fucked around with mm. Mm. that was kind of cool i had this setup where we had the amps in the studio and at the back of any any amp there's a, a loop you can actually put you know stick a pedal in mm. and so it's on all the time and i, I stuck some professional you know like studio quality equalizers in there so i could actually sit in the control room and add more low end or take ugly mids out and you know kind of scoop them the way i want it and and they were loving that because you know the guitar sounds we have on justice are pretty fucking amazing yeah yeah oh yeah yeah Yeah. i think like harvest harvester of sorrow yeah sort of middle riff just sounds fantastic and a lot of the shortage draw stuff a lot of people might point to jason's bass absence what's the story with that well, that's pretty common knowledge by now. Um, it was because, uh, you know, when, when they got inaugurated into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, we had Steve Thompson and Michael Barriero there who makes the album. And they did a roast the day before on uh, in, in, like, the House of Blues right next to in Cleveland. And, and they went on stage and went, well, this is what happened. So what happened was that they did a, mi- they did a mix 
that they thought sounded really, really good, hmm. which had loads of bass in it. And the bass, let me just point out, the bass tracks on Unjustice for All are absolutely fantastic. Hmm. He plays really well, Jason. I think, you know, he, uh, he probably tried to prove that he was worth, hmm. you know, that he was up there with Cliff, which, in my opinion, he is. It's a different style, but but he is as good a bass player as as Cliff, but just in a different way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've heard the bass tracks, and they're absolutely amazing. They sound good. He plays well. But, you know, they heard the mix, and they went, all right, take the bass down, change this, 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 and this, and then take the bass down so you can barely hear it. Mm. And then once they'd done that, they said, yeah, take it to another 3 dBs down. So right. it's, you know, yeah. why they did that, I have no idea. It could be that they were still grieving about Cliff. Sure. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I have no idea. Yeah. yeah. But when I, I imagine my surprise when I heard the album, when I got the album, I was like, what the? I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> It is a yeah, it is an odd mix, isn't it? It's not got quite got the the breath of Nasta. Yeah, no, but yeah, well, again, it got really criticised when it came out, and and people got more or less blown away because you know because of the dryness of the mm. sound and it just goes bang right in your face. But you know, the, Justice for All is probably the single album the last what thirty years who's been most influential in terms of sound for like a whole generation of hardcore metal bands. Because, mm. you know, they all wanted to sound like Injustice for that really clicky, high-endy bass drum, mm. all that stuff. So every time I hear bass drum like that, I'm going, yeah, I'm really sorry about that. Right. that that's my mistake. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't mix it. <laughs> no, I think, I think what it captures... You know the songs yeah. are absolutely terrific, no doubt. Like it's very much their sort of their tech oh, yeah. prog, quite difficult stage, but compositionally so impressive. Um, you know, yeah. Dyer's Eve, for example, is is you know an amazing, amazing closer. Like, what what were your thoughts with the Black album? Was it kind of accepted that they weren't going to call you for that one, or no? It was. Uh, we actually made a deal. They wanted to try something new, which is probably which is the classical. Uh, it's the classical management thing they want, right. you know, they, and they wanted to keep it in America. I think they were, because they, I think they felt that they were too far away in Denmark, you know, when they did the album, so they didn't have enough saying. I don't, I don't know, whatever. Um, but they actually called me before and said, "We're going to try with this uh, Bob Rock guy, but we want to pay you to be standby mm. in in case <laughs> it's a new Mike Clink." So, so you know, so they paid me to 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 see if if it went well, because mm. uh, because you know if if Bob Rock if they didn't work out with Bob Rock they would have just sacked him and I would have been flown in. Yeah, yeah, but so yeah, but I think Black Album's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and it is a change from from everything they've done before, where where all this all the albums before that they have these really long songs with like five to ten different riffs in them. Now they went to, you know, one song, one riff. Mm, mm. I mean, Enter Sandman is basically the same riff for five minutes. and But, you know, it works. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. 
Just and, and the fact that James James had gotten so so confident in his voice that he he started you know exploring the singing parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he really did have a great voice tucked away, didn't he? It's quite yeah, quite yeah. amazing. Yeah, and it's great yeah. that you you got got that out of them as well. And then as they continued, like you know, they became effectively the biggest band in the world. Um, yeah, at a certain with, point with, with the Black Album, they yeah. Did, yeah, yeah, that was like yeah. I mean, just oh, uh, we were. I was I was pretty happy when Injustice yeah. came out because it kind of went to number one and pushed Michael Jackson down to number two. That yeah. was big for me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and you know, later on, what are your thoughts on like Saint Anger? What do you think of that that album? I uh, it depends on my mood on the day because mm-hmm. I think they should have uh, you know points for uh, for trying because I mean you know they they really do try you know every second time I hear it I think they really do try to do something new in terms of uh, in terms of you know changing the way metal sounds. Uh, and and I think they 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 really make a good effort in trying to do something different. And then every the other second time I hear it, I just feel it sounds like a really bad demo that never should have been released. Right. So it's it's like you know. But some of the songs are really good. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you know, I'm not a fan of the way that sounds. Right, right, right. To say, say it <laughs> the least. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, what about Death Magnetic? Uh, you a fan? I kind of like, yeah. like that. I I still hate the way it's way too compressed and and, mm. and like you know mastered to death. Yeah. Uh, yeah. but but I kind of like the album. Yeah, I mean compositionally, it's got quite a lot of good songs. I feel exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and it kind of gets lost in that loud loudness war discussion. And, yeah, and, you know. Uh, I'd like to have like uh, a vinyl of that where they kind of take all the mastering away and just release the unmastered on vinyl. That would be nice. Just get some dynamics in there. Mm, mm. It's, it's the kind of ultimate scare example of too much master compression. Yeah, yeah, it does have a kind of brittleness, doesn't it? It doesn't have much. much yeah, well, that's it. also because they they they. Uh, They've actually uh, uh, raised the level to above the distortion. It's actually a plus one or something to make it louder, and that kind of introduces digital distortion and that that kind of brittle thing. Mm-hmm. You know, so. And hardwired production-wise, is that an improvement for you? Oh, definitely. Mm. That is that's a really good. I really like that. That almost sounds like the stuff we did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's really nice. Especially the snare sounds absolutely amazing. Mm, mm. Really good. I really like it. And I think there's some really good songs on there too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 There is. Well, that, that's that's after the Black Album. That's the album I would have liked to have done. <laughs> Hardwired. <laughs> I mean, it would be you know, Metallica understands that theirs is quite a romantic story to fans in a certain way, and they're very respectful mm. of their history. Um, yeah, yeah. Is would that would that ever happen? Would they ever say, "Come on, Fleming, let's do the next album"? Like, uh, nobody knows. Yes, yeah? all it's up to them, more or less. Yeah, it's, uh... Uh, but you know, I mean, before Hardwired came out, my uh, my my. Uh, my opinion would have been, yeah, I need to hear the songs first because you know, <laughs> I don't want to. Yeah. Don't I don't want to ruin my reputation by doing yeah. a crap Metallica album. Sure, sure. 
but you know, after Heartwire, I'm pretty confident that you know they'll uh, they'll continue to do good shit for mm. a while. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, they still have it. And I'm just checking a few of your credits on your on your website alongside the Metallica studio releases. You mixed some of the Freddie Mercury tribute concert. Yeah. What, what was that about? It was uh, it was Metallica. Hmm. They hired. They they hired me to fly over uh, and and I don't know who recorded it. Some 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 mobile truck recorded it. And once it was done and they were finished with the reels, I took the reels and went to uh, CBS Studios in London and mixed it all night. And it was done in the morning and shipped to a CD factory. And the next day, the CD you could get the the. Uh, uh, nothing else matters. Sat Patrol and Into Sandman for life from from the Freddie Mercury tribute with Metallica. Nice, nice. That is, that is yeah. that's great. That's great. Yeah, yeah. That, um, great performances by them as well. There, and oh, yeah. um, of course they won the Grammy for one as well, major honor. Yeah, I have one hanging on my wall. In the oh, studio. that's brilliant. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so. Uh, um, and just what a joy as well to see them break through that mainstream barrier. Yeah. Yeah, it was ridiculous the year before Jethro Tull won. It was like, yeah. what the hell? It was the, the Academy didn't know what heavy metal was, so they thought, well, we like this better and voted for that. And um, I, guess, I guess I guess to wrap up, Fleming, like, you know, do, in general, do you ever speak to the guys at all? Have you, have you spoken oh, yeah. to them recently? Yeah, you oh, do yeah. still. That's yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. That, that's, uh... I'm going to – they played Copenhagen this spring. Oh, right. James got ill, so they're coming back on September second. I'm gonna go say hi again. Uh, I've done a band in Belgium called Toxic Shock mm. that has a release gig on November second uh, in Antwerp. And guess who's playing the first and the third in Antwerp? Metallica. So mm. I'm gonna see them there as well. <laughs> it's kind of funny. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's so good, and I mean, I just want to say thank you so much for your time. This has been enlightening, and um, you know, I really, really appreciate um, getting the answers to so many questions I've long held as well. Um, yeah, ways people can get in touch with you is it just mainly for your website? Is it or yeah, they just uh, go on my Facebook. I have uh, Sweet Silence North Facebook. I have the Fleming Rasmussen Facebook. I have a website, mm-hmm. SweetSilenceStudios.com. And, you know, you can send a note for me there, and I'm ready to work. Just, you know, if yep. you want something done, call me. Yep. All right. Well, Fleming, this has been a joy, as I say. Um, once again, thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome.